Hey, what's up? Big Sky Breakdown. Coulter Nuanas, as always, you can find this podcast. SkylineSportsMT.com coming to you Friday afternoon. It's a beautiful day in Missoula, Montana. Can't believe it's so sunny and warm outside still. We won't jinx it. It's supposed to be nice tomorrow in Missoula for Montana versus the University of Idaho. First time the Vandals have been in town since 2003. Montana State, they're playing down in Greeley, Colorado. It's supposed to be sunny at Northern Colorado as well. So good weather, even though it is November. Now the game's really starting to mean something. Big games around the Big Sky Conference. Weber State, North Dakota is a huge game. NAU-Sac State with the question marks surrounding Sac State's quarterback, Kevin Thompson. A huge game. Well, let's be frank, all the games this time of year, even if the teams haven't been doing well, are huge because like Northern Colorado, they're 2-6. and six. They get derail Montana State season. So we'll see uh, where we are at when the dust settles after this weekend. In this podcast, we'll talk about those two games with the Montana schools. Here for Brooks Nuanas talking all things Big Sky Conference, talking some Big Sky Conference hoops, some national FCS awards in terms of Big Sky Conference. Guys, give you a little preview on the Grizz Idaho, and a little recap of the Grizz Portland State. We'll also give you a little recap of the Bobcats versus Southern Utah, and a little preview of Bobcats against Northern Colorado. Also in this podcast here from Jeff Cotton, he joined us on Two Tell Nuanas, 102.9 ESPN Missoula, as well as statewide on SWX Montana Television. Earlier this week, he's a star receiver for the Idaho Vandals, one of the leading receivers in the country, and uh, quite frankly, as Bobby Houck said, the guy he considers Idaho's best offensive player. We'll also hear from Justin Calhoun, University of Montana corner, talked to him just for a couple minutes right after practice on Wednesday. It was cold, so we had to get him out of there real quick, but he's going to be guarding Jeff Cotton and He's ready to roll. Should be a fun rivalry matchup in Missoula. On the Montana State side of things, caught up with Jacob Nip, Northern Colorado's quarterback, earlier this week on Tutel and Nuanas as well. Nip, one of the top-rated prospects in the FCS when it comes to quarterbacks. He's had a crazy story, man. He's gotten hurt like four years in a row. A sixth-year senior. There's three sixth-year quarterbacks, and Kevin Thompson's not even a senior yet. He's a junior. He'll be a seventh-year senior next year. That seems almost impossible. But Case Cookus and Jacob Nip, the other two sixth-year seniors, so a lot of experience at the quarterback position in the Big Sky Conference. And then finally, a little special treat for you. you got Michael Sean Dugar, former Moscow Pullman Daily News beat writer, University of Idaho, and now the Seattle Seahawks beat writer for the Athletic. But I got to know Michael Sean a little bit when he was covering Idaho. I met him down in Reno at the Big Sky Tournament, and he's a good, good reporter, good writer, does a great job covering the Seahawks, and he's been Joining us weekly for our 12 for the 12s, a 12-minute segment about the Seattle Seahawks uh, each week. But because he's got a little familiarity with the University of Idaho, we talked just about the state of the Idaho Athletic Department as well. So stay tuned to the end for Michael Sean Dugar. We call him Mike, Mike Dugar, a uh, great friend of Tutel Nuanas and uh, a great analyst of all the sports out there, including the Big Sky Conference. Big Sky Breakdown brought to you in part by Selway Armory. Go check out the new Selway Armory in Bozeman. It's on the corner of Jackrabbit and Baxter. Beautiful store. Firearms galore. They have anything you need. Hunting rifles, shotguns, handguns, ammunition, whatever you need. They got you covered. And stay tuned to 1029 ESPN Missoula, as well as check out your local newspapers. Huge Black Friday sales going on at both Selway Armories in Missoula and in Bozeman. Subway Armory, Montana's Firearms Superstore. Big Sky Breakdown also brought to you in part by Town Pump. Town Pump, Montana's best since 1953. Great prices and convenience. Food, snacks, gas, liquor, beer, wine, chips, 
Copenhagen, cigarettes, they got everything, anything you ever wanted, everything you ever needed. Convenience stores in America are fascinating, and Town Pump, they do it right, man. They Even down to the bathrooms. The bathrooms are clean. It's always a great place to stop if you need anything uh, when you're on the road, and no matter where you're at on the road in Montana, there's always a Town Pump near you. Without further ado, Big Sky Breakdown, here's Brooks Nuanez breaking down all things Big Sky Conference. Hey, welcome back in the Big Sky Breakdown. Coulter Nuanez, as always, this podcast can be found SkylineSportsMT.com. Back in the saddle, Brooks Nuana is joining us. It's been a couple weeks. He had a real busy week last week. For all you guys that don't know, we have uh, full-time jobs outside of Skyline Sports as well. So sometimes the paths don't get to cross, but it's always good because Brooks hadn't seen the Cats live and in person for a couple weeks because they were on the road, and then they had a bye week, and then they were on the road, and back at home last week to kick off November. But before we get into any of that, all of a sudden it's basketball season as well. Montana State opened their season against Utah State, the number 16 team in the country. Two nights ago in Logan, Utah, and Montana opened their season against Stanford last night. And I want to touch touch a little bit on the uh, the Utah State game. We'll also talk some national awards. Uh, Buck Buchanan and uh, Walter Payton Award watch lists expanded earlier this week. And the FCS Top 10, the one and only rankings from the playoff committee came out last night as well. And uh, Montana's on there. Montana State just outside that Top 10. So we'll talk a little bit about the scenarios moving forward and give you a little preview on uh, the Northern Colorado-Montana State game in Greeley on Saturday. Brooks, what's going on? How you doing? How you living? Very good. Sorry to miss all you guys last week. Busy week, busy day yesterday. Uh, but things are good, man. No complaints. Slanging wine and beer around Montana. It's uh pretty darn good gigs. Let's absolutely is. I also spent some time outside uh for mm, the first time in a while. You know, usually I'm just sitting still at a football game trying to take as beautiful photos as I can. And I got out um uh, on a route and shot a couple uh shot a couple cool photos of landscape and spent some time outside. It was nice. So enjoyed the weekend, enjoyed the week. Very good. Uh, last two nights ago, I guess now Tuesday night, Montana State, Logan, Utah, Smith Spectrum Arena. First of all, what an atmosphere! People that don't know, they don't know, and uh, people that do know, they do know. Utah State, no question, one of the great atmospheres in all college basketball. They were their student section and the synchronicity of it all is just it's wild, and that's why they've been. So, so good at home. I mean, to me, I've watched Gonzaga and Duke and North Carolina and everybody on TV, and it was honestly comparable. I mean, their student section is just nuts. Uh, When Stu Morrill, who was former Grizz head coach, was at Utah State, 17 seasons at Utah State, he went 193-13 and at home. Think of that. He lost 13 home games in 17 years. <laughs> Unbelievable. And Montana State goes down there, and they're winning with five minutes to go in the game. They ended up losing 81-73. But an absolutely great effort by Montana State uh, in the first game under Danny Sprinkle. So, Brooks, you watched the game. What did you think of the atmosphere? What did you think of the Cats' performance? Yeah, it was impressive, man. I, I learned a little bit about Utah State when, when uh, Roy Wooster decommitted from the Grizz and went to committed to Utah State. I started to investigate that more. I was familiar with the program. Uh, but yeah, the home court advantage, tremendous. You don't really beat the, you know, a preseason number 17 in the country when you, if you play in a barn. So I wasn't necessarily surprised that it was a good atmosphere, but it was better than I could have imagined. Uh, Utah State's a good team, too. I saw them in Bozeman last year. Uh, a couple guys that came back that were developed a little bit further this season. Um, and, you know, they're, they have a great guard. Um, 
in uh, Sam Merrill. Yep, a guy that really, I mean, a guy that really can drive a team to a, a run in the tournament. I mean, you see him a little bit unassuming, bigger than you think, but probably slower than you hope. Yeah, but uh, just a really crafty, good player. Gets to the free throw line at will. Um, a good mid range game can finish around the rim. A great passer, not really a three point threat, but though he can put him up. Um, so he's a great player. So I, I watched him and Harold Frey battle last season. Was excited to see that again, and that, that's just how it turned out—a complete battle. Sam Merrill, a semifinalist for the Wooden Award. He was the Mountain West Player of the Year last year, and uh, he's an All American. And so he's a real deal college player. I mean, one of the best players in college basketball. Averaged twenty one point nine points per game last year. Scored over seven hundred and twenty five points. So he he really filled it up last year. He's uh, he's honestly probably the best free throw shooter in the entire country. I thought Montana State did a great job on Tuesday of knocking him off the spot, not letting him get any sort of jump shots because he can kill you at all three levels. He's a great pull-up jump shooter. He's a great three-point shooter. He can get to the rim and get to the free-throw line, and that's where he actually made all of his money. He had 28 points, and he had 17 of them at the free-throw line. But honestly, the best player on the floor was Harold Frey. And Harold Frey was was out of his mind. He was shooting 30-foot threes. And it wasn't as if he was shooting wide-open set shots from uh, against a zone either. He was curling off screens. He was creating his own shot. He was pulling up in the flow of the offense. He nailed six three-pointers, scored a career-high 34 points. Uh, and, I mean, he was just flat dominant for stretches. And when he gets it going, man, he's just so fun to watch. What did you think of Harry on Tuesday? I mean, it, I I hate to be underwhelmed, but it's it's not it's old news to me. I oh. mean, I think that there's some people in the conference that we had a lot of people that we had talked to that that were considering not putting Harold Frey on the on their first team preseason ballot, first team Big Sky preseason ballot. And I mean, if there's not if that's not blasphemy, I don't know what is. I watched Harold Frey score. I don't know exactly, but I watched him score 28 or 27 plus, like three out of four games in a row last year yep. to close the season and get seeded in the tournament, he was absolutely dominant in the same fashion he was in this Utah State game. The step-in, kind of uh, left elbow at your chin, 30-footer that he can hit with consistency is an unbelievable shot. I mean, it is an unstoppable it is the kind of shot that you'll get to play professional basketball for a very long time just when someone sees one game of it, let alone they know the consistency of how often it comes. A great playmaker. Montana State had a lot more developed guys uh, around Harold Frey than I expected. Some guys that really put in some good minutes. Um, they hit the shots they needed to, and Harold Frey was facilitating. They also had a couple guys creating shots, rebounded fairly well, played defense as a team, which was interesting, especially for a team that has such a, a young, new head coach in Danny Sprinkle. Uh, so Montana State, I mean, I said in the preseason, I really thought that you know Montana State was was voted seventh in the league. I thought that Harold Frey was was definitely by himself better than seventh. Uh, but I was a little bit, I was surprised with some of the talent that they had compared to kind of what my my intuition uh, of what their roster would look like, especially this early on. Yeah, I mean Harold Frey to me is one of the most fascinating players in the league. Not only just because of his backstory, where he comes from. I mean, people think of him as a Euro guy, and he is. He's a European guy, but people don't realize that basketball is just not a thing in Norway. It's not a big thing at all. We had Harold Frey on our ESPN roundtable last year, and I asked him, "Who's who's the most famous or the best basketball player from from Norway? I mean, who do you look up to? Who do people around the country think is the best?" And he said, "Well, honestly, my dad. He said my dad is the greatest Norwegian basketball player of all time." 
<laughs> and I've never seen Harold Frey's dad play, but I bet you Harold Frey's as good as his dad right now. <laughs> so Harold Frey might be the best Norwegian basketball player. I mean, the guy, the guy was averaging close to 20 points per game when he was a teenager in the top pro league in Norway, and then he comes to Montana State, and he's played for the U-20 Norwegian team in the summers for the last couple years. And his skill development continues to grow, and his physical development continues to accelerate as well. And I think that that makes him a guy that he's a for-sure pro, man. I don't know if he's going to even get a sniff from the NBA. I don't think so, just because he's just not physically big enough. But he's going to be able to play basketball as long as he wants. So I think the other thing that's so fascinating about him is that everybody that's seen him play 100% knows that he's one of the best players in the Big Sky Conference and one of the best mid-major guards in the country. And everybody that hasn't seen him play or has only seen him in passing seems to think that he's not very good. And I think that's the craziest part about it. I mean, you and I, Brooks, we had him as a first-team All-League guy last year. We thought we had him over Tyler Hall from Montana State as... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. right. And, I mean, down the, you mentioned down the stretch. I mean, he scored 30 points in a game, I think, five times last year. I mean, him and John Morant were two the only two guys in the country that had 30 and 10 games last year. So... He can fill it up while also not really being a ball-dominant point guard. He's not a high-usage guy, even though he has as many 30-point games as anybody in the country. And his flow, his pace, his IQ, the way that he can kill you from every single spot on the court. I don't know, man. I just I voted him in our for our preseason MVP. I voted him as preseason MVP. Overside, Pritchett from Montana. Over Jarek Harding from Weaver State. I don't think the Cats are going to be the best team in the conference. I don't think they're even going to be in the top five teams in the conference. They could be flirting with that fifth spot, maybe, if if Frey really leads them to overachieve. But him as an individual, I just think that he is he's the dream college basketball player because he can score 30 without being a ball-dominant guy. And his confidence and just the fact that he can just get so unconscious and his demeanor – I mean, he's he's the total package to me. He's one of my favorite players I've ever watched. I absolutely agree with you. I couldn't. I mean, I agree with everything you said. His confidence level is so high. It has nothing to do with being overconfident or cocky. He just truly is so comfortable with who he is. I mean, he's a worldly guy. I mean, his he speaks multiple language fluently, uh, languages fluently and beautifully, and speaks so well. I mean, he's the best interview I've had from a basketball player times two or three. I mean. I can't even think of anyone. Maybe in the women's league, there's been some girls, maybe at Idaho or Idaho State, that were pretty good. It's the best basketball interview I've ever done in my entire life. Is anytime you get to talk to Harold Frey, he can give you analysis of the game immediately after. He knows the rebounding margin, the defensive lapses, the defensive successes. He knows the free throw margin. He knows everything about it without even looking at a stat sheet. He's a really, really smart guy. Really enjoy being around him. Um, I also think that some of that worldliness really plays into the, his relatability. I mean, he brings guys along because he's just so fun and relatable. And the best thing he's got going is that when you see his mugshot, when you see his picture, you just laugh because he looks like a kid. And all of a sudden you get next to him, you're like, well, he's small. And then you get up closer and you're like, oh, he's 6'2", 190. I don't know a lot of small guys that are 6'2", 190. So he really has the full package. Uh, it's really early, but I'm saying, I think that we can both say this, that this was a kind of an emphasis of what we already had known. What we're saying right now is not uh, a season long that he's the best player in the country, but this is just uh, an emphasis of what we have seen from the last three years playing out on a really big stage. Harold Frey's the dude, and when he gets it cooking, it's it's lights out for pretty much everyone in the country. Maybe not the number 17 team in the country in Utah State, but look out for anyone else because if he gets it cooking, it's, it's over for you. Yeah, and I think the fun element is the best part about it because he does have – 
he, he has such an authentic way of having fun while he's on the court. I mean, he had that shot the other night where he pulled up from the New York life sign, which was like eight feet beyond the three-point line, and just nothing but net. And he runs down the court the other way, and he's just laughing. He's laughing at himself. I'm laughing out loud. Oh, he, he laughs all the time. He laughs so much. And he's hitting those threes eight feet behind a brand-new three-point line that's an extra foot deeper than it ever has been. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. He's fun to watch, and uh, we're happy to have him in Montana. We'll enjoy one more year of covering him. I think that's the other thing to, to realize is that he might not be the MVP of this, of this league. Jarek Harding is going to make a big case. Mason Peetling at Eastern Washington is going to make a big case. Side Pridget at Montana certainly is going to have a, something to say about it for sure. I, I just think that Harold Frey, he has the most translatable game to being able to play for the longest. He's going to play basketball as long as he wants, and I think that's the main point that uh, – we're trying to get across. Let's talk some football first around the country. The Buck Buchanan Award watch list and the Walter Payton Award watch list both expanded earlier this week. And uh, Kevin Thompson from Sacramento State added to the Payton Award watch list, which I thought was apt. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what his status is going forward. He got crushed against Weber State and was knocked out of the game. Craig Haley from Stats is reporting that he will that Kevin Thompson will not play this week at Northern Arizona, which all of a sudden makes that game super super interesting. Uh, but then Dalton Sneed from Montana not added to the Buck Buchanan Award watch, or excuse me, the Walter Payton Award watch list, which I know was a controversial decision, especially around uh, Western Montana, no doubt. And then the Buck Buchanan Award watch list, Jonah Williams, one of the most physically impressive players in the big sky, defensive end from Weaver State, added to the Buck watch list. And Bryce Dirk from Montana State uh, added to the Buck watch list as well. So first, Brooks, I'll start with the defensive guys, the Buck guys. Uh, Bryce Dirk got off to such an insane start. He had eight and a half sacks in the first four games of the year. And that was as many sacks as he has had uh, as he had all of last season when he led the Big Sky Conference. Right now he sits with nine and a half sacks. He's got 14 tackles for loss. He's got 48 total tackles, which is second on Montana State. Really impressive for a strong end guy. He's got a team-high 34 solo tackles. Uh, it's been really interesting because I think Sturk's been really productive. He's been better at the point of attack, setting the edge in the run game than I even thought he might be, moving from that buck spot to the strong end spot. We've also seen teams give him a ton of extra attention as well. Um, and he only has one sack during conference play. So uh, obviously he deserves to be added to that list. There's no question about that. Uh, I just think it's interesting that he hasn't been able to keep pace with his production, albeit his production was insane early on, but just one sack in conference play against North Dakota two weeks ago. Other than that, he's been shut out. Yes, he, he got off to such a hot start. It's hard to keep that up. But I think a lot of teams are probably game planning for a guy like him. He's He's the kind of guy that, you got to just do everything you can and get away from him. A guy like Dante Olson, who we'll talk about shortly, is the kind of guy that plays in the middle of the field. That's so different than playing on the edge, especially on the strong end spot, which is a new position for Sturk. You really can run away from guys on the edge. You really can have route concepts and the flow of, of the offense kind of go away from a guy like that. You can also chip guys like that, have some help on the edge, keep a tight end in. Guys that are playing in the middle that are a little bit more free don't really face a lot of stuff like that. But still, I think Montana State, with the deficiencies at quarterback, I somehow we find a way to talk about Montana State's deficiencies at quarterback, no matter what. Even the <laughs> so true. Conversation. Their deficiencies at quarterback really force them on defense to play pretty safe because whatever, for whatever reason, if you're playing so safe on offense and you're just holding on for dear life with, with time of possession and, and running the ball until uh, it's flat, then on defense it's really hard to, to, to rush the 
rush the passer and and give up a ton of big plays over the top. So I think that they've played relatively safe. I'm having a lot of pressure, so that puts Sterk at, at very least a one-on-one, but oftentimes a, a two a two versus one. Uh, I think you'll see more production from him as the season goes on. you got to think if there's four more games than, and he gets – or three more games, right, three three games, that he yeah. gets – Two, two sacks and two of those, that he finishes the season with 13 sacks. So, heck, heck of a lot of sacks. No doubt. And uh, Jonah Williams, he's been really good at the anchor for Weber State's defensive line, and he has five sacks so far this season. So, shows you just how productive Sturk has been, even if it was during the non-conference. And, uh, you know, I mean, a couple of them against lesser opponents. He had three, th- three, maybe even three and a half against Norfolk State. He had a couple against Western Illinois. Uh, but he had a bunch against uh, Southeast Missouri State, too. So uh, he's been good uh, against lesser opponents, but as well as on-par opponents as well. Um, you know, the, the Bucks going to be an interesting race because Zach Hall from SEMO is uh, a senior now. He's the winner last year. Cam Gill from Wagner is a guy we watched live who's really good. Jabril Cox from North Dakota State is having a great senior year. And Dante Olson from Montana, a great senior year as well. And then the other guy who I know you love, Brooks, Christian Roseboom from South Dakota State. Can't believe that guy's still in college. He's played. He must have 500 tackles now in his career. No, he does. He's, he's got like 480. He has a chance to. He has a chance to get right up there with the, the all time record. Of, I think the all time record is 537. Um, he came into the season uh, at 410. So that yeah. he's got a real chance to get up there. Uh, and I think that that record is held by Luke Keekley at Boston College. Wow. Impressive, impressive. Uh, we'll see where Dante Olson's at as well. Uh, I guess it's hard to gauge wh- what we think maybe the Buck winner would be um, because we haven't seen everybody in the country. But I was a couple things that I thought. Uh, first of all, surprise George Obina from Sac State was not added to the Buchanan watch list. He's got 11.5 sacks, which is actually more than Sterk. Uh, Darian Chote from Sac State, he also has 15 tackles for loss, which is the most in the league. Uh, I thought maybe he, he could sneak his way on there too, but no love for those Sac State guys. But Brooks, as of right now, three games left to go. I think we kind of know who the front runners are, but who who would be your defensive player of the year in the league this year? I mean, if Dante Olsen finishes his career without a without being named the best player in some fashion, I mean, hopefully they did it internally on the team last year. That hey, you're the best defensive player on this team. Right. But by God, he's the best defensive player in the conference. And if he's not the best defensive player in the country, I'd sure like to see who is. <laughs> I, mean, I know Jabril, Jabril, Jabril Cox is a dude, but he plays a different position. I don't think it's quite as productive. I think the kid from SEMO is at Hall. I, I was underwhelmed by him this year. I mean, I, I saw his, some of his highlights last year. He does produce, uh, but it's such a different fashion. And then Roseboom, I really like, but they play an interesting scheme that really funnels a lot to him, very similar to what Montana does. But Roseboom is, is more of a he's more of an electric kind of uh, burst player. He's the kind of guy that gets three tackles in a row and then does it go, is quiet for a while, then gets three tackles in a sack, and he ends up having eight tackles in a sack. It seems great, but they were all kind of bunch plays. Dante Olsen is just around the ball all the time, and he brings the fucking boom. I mean, the guy puts a hat on a hat as much as anyone I've ever really seen, and he can fly, and he's so big. I mean, he brings it every play, and he's the kind of guy that once you get hit by him, it kind of changes the complexity of what it looks like in the middle, where you can run, how you can avoid this guy, especially if he starts blitzing. Uh, he's a really dominant player. I think he really makes a lot of their team better. You look at Jace Lewis, the steps he's taken at their other inside linebacker spot. You look at Robbie Halkin, how productive he's been in both 
both full-time seasons of his career. I think so much of that kind of production stems from Dante Olsen. When you make guys around you better, I think that's probably, with the kind of stats that Dante Olsen has, I don't really see how that's not an award-winning style of player. Um, he's done it for too long, like I say. I hope it's, I hope it's him. I would imagine it's him um, within the conference. Um, but if not, George Obina, we'll see where Stack finishes. But if they lose Kevin Thompson, that team is going to struggle, I think. Not mightily, uh, but they got handed handed to him by Weber. Uh, so we'll see. I don't know if they're the cream of the crop of the big sky, like, they, like the run they went on kind of uh, led us to believe. But George Obina's had a really good season. But right now I vote Olsen, named Obina. Yeah, no, I totally agree, man. And, and like Bobby Houck said after the Portland State game, he called it this – BS voodoo defense that we run, but Olsen's the whole key. I mean, he can play multiple gaps at a time, and you're right. There's a lot of defensive schemes that filter plays in the run fits towards elite tacklers, and Montana definitely wants Olsen to be the primary tackler for sure, but it's a little bit more complex than just one run fit towards that guy. I mean, he's he has multiple responsibilities on every play, and, and then you add in the fact that he's one of the best pass-rushing inside linebackers I've ever seen. I mean, he almost killed Davis Alexander last week. I mean, the guy, he's just a savage, and he sets the tone so hard, and I agree. I think that you know, just because he's been so hyper-productive and he's been such a good leader, and I mean, he's literally done nothing wrong in his career. I mean, he's, he's a finalist for the Campbell Trophy. I mean, if anybody knows what that is, that's, that's the Heisman of Division One football for academics. I mean, he has a chance to be named the number one student athlete in the country, FBS or FCS. That's amazing that he's in that position and that he's rolling up. You know, a hundred. He's following up 150 tackle season with a, ta- a season where he's already got 107 tackles. Uh, so I agree. I think that he's got to be the front runner right now, and I, I hope he wins it as well. Uh, on the other side, the Walter Payton Award, Thompson certainly deserved to get added. Uh, but now we'll see if he misses this NAU game or he misses the Idaho game or he misses the UC Davis game. That could definitely impact his chances. So far, though, he's been lights out. He's completing 66% of his passes for 2,279 yards. That's about 285 yards per game. He's thrown 23 touchdowns, just six picks. He's got an efficiency of almost 160. And, oh, by the way, he's their second-leading rusher, averaging 5.3 yards per carry. He's got over 400 yards rushing. He's got a team-high seven rushing touchdowns as well. So Thompson... Certainly, certainly deserves to be up there. I was surprised, though, that Dalton Sneed was not on the list. He has I know he's missed the last two games, which definitely hurts you, uh, but before he went down, he was averaging 289 passing yards per contest. That's with you know missing most of the second half against Sac State when he went down with the ankle injury. He threw, He's thrown 15 touchdowns and six picks. He's also rushed for over 250 yards. He's averaging uh, 3.5 yards per carry. That's with some sacks included in there, and he's also scored five rushing touchdowns. So not quite the numbers that Thompson had, but when he's been hot, he's been so hot, and he was the Big Sky Conference Offensive Player of the Week three weeks in a row. Were you surprised that Steed wasn't out of the list? Yeah, he has the kind of injury. I guess I'm not surprised just because I think he has the kind of injury that could end his season, and I, I don't know. He I don't practiced think yesterday. Will. Practice yesterday, right. uh, he didn't look good. He he's it's his right foot, and he's had a had a really hard time like pre, like getting any strength in his throws. He, it's his plant foot, and he, he just wasn't zipping the ball as well as he needs to. Yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a person who's suffered high ankle sprains in both ankles, one of them a full dislocation and a and a fractured uh, fibula. 
I just know, you know, eight, nine years later, how much that bothers me and how serious of an injury that is. I don't, I don't think he has a fracture by any means, but it's a serious injury, man. It's a six, it is six weeks before you should be out of a boot, let alone running or jumping. It is a long-term injury. Uh, I mean, it, a high ankle sprain is really not uh, the ball of your ankle that we all think of as kind of your foot where your ankle turns into your leg. A high ankle sprain is truly when the, when the, when the tissue between your tibia and fibula, the two lower leg bones, tears, and it can tear all the way up halfway up your leg pretty much. Um, so it's more of a lower leg injury than anything. It is a terrible, terrible injury. I don't know if he had surgery, um, but the quarterback, I'll just call him Tua at Alabama. Yep, Tua Tagovailoa. I've been practicing that one forever. Got to say it whenever I can because I finally got it down. That a boy, I have not been practicing that one. Uh, <laughs> Tua, Tua, I think most people know what that means. He had this uh, a surgery on a, on a pretty bad high ankle sprain last year and played in the national championship five weeks later. It was week five. Um, so about four weeks later, probably practiced that fourth week. And he did not look that mobile, though he did look great and won them that game. Uh, this season, when he had a similar injury, he had surgery that day. I mean, that that next day on the, the similar style of surgery. Um, I don't know if Dalton Steen had that. That would only be the only thing that accelerates his his uh, his, his recovery. But it's a really bad injury, man. So I'm not surprised he wasn't added, though he's been dynamite. If if his season were to be over, of course he should not be on that list, and of course he has no um, he will not be in the contention of that award. Hope he gets back. Uh, he's been a really electric player, one of the better quarterbacks I've seen at the University of Montana in a long time. Uh, Jordan Johnson kind of fits in that mold, but he's a similar style player, more aggressive runner, a more dynamic leader. Um, he can push the ball down the field. He reminds me a lot of Drew Brees with the running element uh, added. I mean, he can throw the ball from a low release point and kind of push it, drive it with his shoulder. He's a tremendous player. I really hope he gets back because uh, Kim Humphreys, while he's good, he's not the player that, that Dalton Speed is. Let's touch on that quickly. Me and you watched the uh... – I guess you and I, I should say, my mother would, our mother would uh, slap me for saying uh, me, me and you. But uh, you and I watched the Grizz game last week. Uh, we missed uh, the first quarter-ish because we were doing the Bobcat press conference post-Southern Utah, but then we were able to watch uh, the entire second half. And uh, you were live and in person for the Grizz-Eastern Washington game, a much more conservative game plan. Basically just had one read each pass play in there for Cam Humphrey, wanted to get the ball out quick. Montana ended up running the ball for – 255 yards and ran it a season high t- uh, more than 50 times. It was kind of an old school Bobby Houck game that was influenced by the weather, influenced by a backup quarterback, and they still were able to take care of business against Eastern. Last week they opened up the playbook quite a bit more. The flex defense that Portland State runs was uh, did not hinder Montana at all in the second half. Cam Humphrey had his way. He threw dimes and bombs to Samari Torre and Sammy Akim and uh, ended up throwing for 335 yards and four touchdowns. And I thought it was a coming out party for Cam Humphrey. I think it put on, put on full display what he does well and the way that he's able to use Montana's weapons that he has at his disposal. So uh, Montana wins that game going away 38-23 uh, to set up a, a pretty big stretch run here for the Grizz with rival Idaho coming to town this week, number three Weaver State coming to town next week, and then a trip to Bozeman to play the Cats to finish the year. So what did you think of just kind of the emergence of Cam Humphrey and the Grizz offense last week? I think that having receivers like Samari Torrey and Sammy Kim can can help any quarterback, but really especially help a good quarterback. I think Cam Humphreys is a nice player. Um, I think he could play and be a, a productive quarterback for a lot of teams um, in the FCS. He's the kind of guy that I think 
I think he's going to be really consistent. I don't know how big of a gamer he is, which is what the Dalton Sneed element was that was so unique and so fun and kind of brought uh, so much energy around that program. I think Cam Humphrey, you know what you're going to get, which is a really positive thing, especially with a backup. But you hope that at some time, and I think it'll be the Weber, the Weber game in, in a week or so, uh, or next weekend, that you'll see someone who has a new plan for him that he hasn't seen yet, and that will be the test. I think he's played some teams where their scheme, they drew it up for him. He's got a bunch of playmakers. Things worked out really well in his favor. Um, Eastern has a pretty decent defense, but it's not top of the league. And I thought Portland State got out-schemed pretty pretty bad there. And they, there was some mismatch, mismatches on the outside especially. I'll, I'll wait to see what that Weber game, what that game plan looks like for the Wildcats um, and to really give a full evaluation of Cam, of, uh, of Cam Humphrey. But – Overall, I think he's a good player. You know, if I gave him a Madden rating, I'd say he's an 86. But when Dalton Sneed was cooking, he was a 97. So no doubt, absolutely. And I think that last week was also just a prime example of if if your defensive scheme, you don't really have an out. All you got to do is uh, all you have in your quiver, so to speak, is to play man. If you do that against Montana, they're just going to kill you. I mean, like the second touchdown to Samari Torrey and the touchdown to Sammy Kim, Kim Humphrey just grabbed the ball and chucked it. I mean, he just threw the ball down the field. It was no read or anything like that. It was just get it, two-step drop, huck it. And uh, Smart Tori is just going to beat you off the line if you got no help over the top. It's, you just can't guard him. Same with Sammy Kim. So I think that uh, similar formula if Dalton Sneed can't go this week against Idaho because the Vandals sit there in man coverage too. And, uh, I mean, probably the biggest exploitation of that last year was when they played Idaho State and gave up 62. So, if they, if they don't have anything to go to to check to, it's going to be a long day for the Vandals. Uh, let's talk some Montana State real quick before we get you out of here, Brooks. Montana State struggled against Sacramento State. They got their weaknesses exploited, and uh, everything was kind of put on film on how you slow down the Cats on both sides of the ball. And then they had a bye week where they talked relentlessly about looking in the mirror, addressing those weaknesses. And then they came out and they laid an egg, quite frankly, against North Dakota. I thought they looked terrible. Uh, I thought they looked flat. I thought their offensive game plan was just completely rudimentary. We talked a lot about it and criticized them quite heavily coming into the Southern Utah game. And then the Southern Utah game, literally everything went right. They are up 21 nothing with seven plays is all Southern Utah had run by the time the Cats had scored their third touchdown. And, you know, everything worked from the inside shovel pass to some of the screens to some of the tight end stuff that they finally added to – now, some of the trick plays they were running in the Wildcats stuff with Kevin Cassis, and it all came to a head when Cassis threw a touchdown to Tucker Hovig, and uh, all of a sudden it's 42 nothing at halftime, and Montana State's just rolling. And then the second half, they, they just didn't have to really do anything. They were able to play a ton of young guys, able to keep a lot of their veterans fresh, didn't have to show too much on film. But I don't know, I, think, I thought it was a double-edged sword. I thought on one hand they played with the exuberance, enthusiasm, and played a half of football that has really eluded them, like that full – from start to finish, good half. I think that's something you can build on. But on the other side, and I do think they deserve credit for their offensive creativity, the fact that they added a whole bunch of stuff to the playbook. They did not let themselves get put in a box, as Jeff Choate said, leading up to that game. But on the other hand, if you gravitate away from that stuff, I just I think that maybe you didn't solve a lot of your problems. I think some of your problems still remain the same. So uh, I, I thought that they didn't really show that they could execute traditionally. But maybe that's just the whole thing. Maybe they maybe they just won't ever be able to. Maybe they just need to be unorthodox outside the box and and creative. I don't know. But do you think Montana State made progress last week, or where, where are you at after their forty-two-seven win over Southern Utah? 
Well, I think Jeff Cho would be happy to hear that I believe him a lot of times, and that's not necessarily a good thing, but it's just the truth because I think he speaks a lot of truth, whether he should or not, and a lot of those truths, his, his favorite one is that you are who you are. Um, they came out and they did a bunch of stuff that wasn't who they were, and it worked. So maybe they, maybe he changes his, his opinion on that on those comments that he makes kind of ad nauseum. You are who you are at this point in the season. Can't really change it. Well, they came out and changed everything. So <laughs> right. we'll see if that we'll see if that continues. I, I recommend that they do change everything. I don't see why they wouldn't. Um, a lot of the stuff that they were running was was pretty beneficial. Uh, it was a lot of scripted game plan, uh, which. When they get when they get off script is when they struggle, and yep. I think that they have not been very creative on the fly. Having Matt Miller down from the box out on the field was helpful for them, I believe. I could see him interact a lot differently with a lot of different players and coaches. Yep. Um, you know, Dennis Erickson on the sidelines helping Matt Miller was really interesting. Kind of shattered him almost the whole game. I don't know how much they were actually talking about scheme, but it sure looked like it. They were drawing plays in the air, uh, looking at the clouds. So I thought that was quite interesting. Did they make progress? I really don't know, man. I don't know if Derek Schnell's going to win you a bunch of games, though he did look great at the tight end position. They got him involved early and often. Um, some of the running backs, the young guys, I've always said, you know, how can you let Lane Thunder run for 100 yards and don't give him a carry for four weeks? It's Give him a carry, run for 100 yards, a couple touchdowns. It just makes sense because, of course, he does because he's a good player. He proved to be a good player. Good, good guys deserve carries. Uh, you saw a lot of uh, different guys get touches, which was the most the part that I was the happiest with as far as seeing progress. Um, you know, when you have three good receivers like Kevin Cassis, uh, Coy Steele, and Travis Johnson, that's all good and dandy. But if the passing game isn't working, maybe you should try some different guys. And they tried different guys this week. I mean, that's just kind of what football is. They haven't done that for seven weeks. Uh, they did that against Southern Utah, and you saw some, some young guys get involved and some guys that, you know, defenses haven't game planned for on the field. That kind of stuff's always helpful. So I hope that, you know, if they continue what they did against Southern Utah, that team was struggling. I mean, that's a team that's kind of, you know, they're reeling, for lack of a better term. I mean, yeah, they and, fell off so hard, man. Yeah, they just didn't have much talent. They didn't have a lot of want to. It was kind of sad to see. I mean, they, they just were they were really bad. They were probably the second, if not the, the worst team I've covered in the last two or three years. Northern Colorado was pretty bad last year. Uh, Idaho's been pretty bad a couple times, but Southern Utah trounces both of the th- schools I just said. So we'll see. I don't think that it's a huge uh, – I would have liked to see them bury them in the second half and score two more touchdowns, but uh, it definitely was better than it's been. I think that there's some stuff you can carry over. First of all, I, I agree with everything you said about Lane Sumner. I mean, when you, like you were saying, when Lane Sumner comes in the press conference, the way that they do it – you can tell it goes from left to right. And so he knew he was going to be last, and he looked so nervous. And then as soon as he opened up the mic, he was great. And the, you've interviewed him one-on-one, and we've interviewed him in press conference situations, I think, twice now. And the impression I always get is that you know, he's a kid from Huntley Project, a Class B school in Montana. And he's not overwhelmed by this level of football at all. He always says that. He's like, I'm, I, you know, I just do what I do. I'm, I'm not scared. I know that I can perform and I think Jeff Choate knows he can perform too. And I think Sumner's a good player. And I, I just I agree with you. I think that if Logan Jones is still banged up and you're trying to save Demarius Hosey's red shirt and Isaiah Infante can't get healthy and Troy Anderson, you're trying to limit his reps. Sumner's good enough, man. He, he's good enough to, to play in the Big Sky Conference, especially when you have their offensive line. So I think they should continue with that. I also think I agree. I don't know if Derek Snell is going to be the world beater, but I do think that getting him involved, I mean, throwing to the tight end, that's one of the easiest ways to get a young, developing and unconfident quarterback, confident. Just give him some easy throws. Run that tight end stick. Run that tight end slant. 
get the tight end the ball, throw the ball in the middle of the field. I thought Montana State's screen game looked a lot better. I mean, they, they actually ran some real screen concepts. I thought that was good. And, you know, that might seem like it looks gimmicky, but it's not. It's simple. Uh, I just think that they just need to do stuff like that more often. I think that you know, just a traditional halfback screen or traditional tight end screen is just – it's better than like the outside bubble flare screen where they try to run that slot guy up up and out, or I guess out and up. It, it, I don't know. I think there's just a lot more margin for error. So but all that stuff was good, and then it, when it leads to the trick play stuff – I think it's good as well, and I think that the other thing is that, like you said earlier on, sometimes when your offense is struggling, it puts a cloud over everything. And Montana State's defense has been lights out the last couple of weeks, even in the North Dakota game. I mean, they gave up a trick play for a touchdown. That was it. That was the only offensive touchdown they've given up the last two weeks. So, to me, if they can keep playing at that level and the and the run, and the, uh, the offense can get back to running the ball with authority, I still think this is a playoff team. Still think it's a team that maybe could make a little bit of a run in the playoffs. So we'll get you out of here on this. The uh, the FCS playoff selection committee came out with their one and only top ten rankings. Uh, of course, North Dakota State was one, James Madison two, Weber State three, uh, South Dakota State four, Northern Iowa five, Sac State six, Montana seven, or excuse me, Central Arkansas seven, Montana eight, Furman was nine. And out of nowhere, out of left field, a team I didn't even have on my top 25 last week, New Hampshire was 10. And Montana State, one of the considered teams, but not in the top 10. So uh, I think we could agree that Weaver State, Sac State are exactly where they should be. Montana being 8 was a little surprising to me. I thought they might be 6 or 7. And Montana State not being in the top 10 with New Hampshire being in the top 10. thought that was a little bit... Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't think the Cats were going to be in the top 10, but if New Hampshire is, I thought the Cats are better than that. So... Uh, interesting, but where do you think of just where the Grizz and the Cats are at right now with three games left in the season? Well, I think it's an interesting spot for both teams. Montana State has to they have to get a couple W's here. The next they got to win two or three to get in, and that seems doable. Um, I don't know. The Montana game will be a coin flip. It really depends on on Snead, um, and but that's where I think about Montana too. I think that they they need to play with some urgency. They got to beat Idaho. They got to play a very tough Weber State team. That anyone who's listening to this, I mean, you better watch out. If you think that a team that you root for can beat Weber State, you better think twice because that team was tough. They beat Sacramento State's ass. I mean, they, they beat were their ass. so much more physical. They have so many grown men. The level of depth and the level of commitment to hitting, the level of commitment to culture that has to do with physicality was on full display, and I was really impressed. I thought Weber may be down just a tiny bit. I was unsure. Well, I watched the entire Weaverstead Sacramento State game. The Grizz are going to have their hands absolutely full, especially with a, with what I consider a traditional rival. Um, in my lifetime, I know that Bobby Houck always says, you know, everyone's a rival to the Grizz. Everyone thinks that we're their rival, blah, blah, blah. In my opinion, Eastern Washington has been on the scene a long time. When I was growing up, when I was around Grizz football, the game that mattered was playing Weber State because they were the most physical, they were the most like opponent, and they were also uh, not scared. And that, that, I think, is more true than ever especially right now without Dalton Sneed. I think that the Cats and Grizz are probably ranked appropriately. I think Sack is, we'll see, man. I think that's probably an inflated rating for them currently. Uh, tough break for them to lose Kevin Thomas. I got it. I mean, has missed the better part of his entire college career. He's a gamer when he's in, but has not been able to stay healthy. He's kind of a small guy. Been around him pregame three times in his career now. He's, he's pretty slight. Not a very big guy. 
Uh, not necessarily surprised he's hurt, but Troy Taylor had that thing going. We'll see how Sacramento State finishes out. Uh, I really like where Weaver's positioned, especially for, for their little stretch run. Uh, I think Montana versus Weaver next week will, will be for the, the, the conference title. Let's assume Montana State wins this week in Northern Colorado. So that moves them to, uh, that'll move them to what, 6-3 and three, uh, this season? Uh, no, is that right? No, they'll be... One second. I think they're seven and three. Twelve game season. That's right. So let's assume Montana State wins at Northern Colorado this weekend. That'll move them to seven and three overall and four and two in Big Sky Conference play. Let's assume Montana takes care of business against Idaho uh, this weekend in Missoula. That'll move the Grizz to eight and two, uh, and they will be five and one in Big Sky Conference play. So then the last two weeks of the season, the Cats will be at UC Davis and home against Montana, and the Grizz will be at home against Weber State and then at Montana State. So, Brooks, what's do the Cats have to split one of those last two? I, I, just, I don't think a 7-5 and five Cats team gets in. I think they got to get to eight wins. Yeah, I probably, I probably agree with you, but, I mean, I think a 7-5 and five Cats team could slide into it. You know, that same spot they did last year, kind of that 24th spot. Um, I'm not totally sure what that what that playoff picture looks like. I think that it's always good for a revenue-sharing league that is nationwide that shares shares money from playoff games to get teams like Montana State in. I think it benefits everyone. Everyone gets paid more. Uh, but, yeah, I would say that, that UC Davis is the playoff game because then you never know with the Grizz. I think that the Grizz are a much more talented team this year playing I'm much more talented, but they are more talented. Their scheme is, is significantly superior. Uh, I think that you'd have to probably lean on Montana, even though the, the Cats are at home. It's really hard to beat a team three times. They already did that. It's pretty hard to beat them a fourth straight time. Um, so if that were the case, you really, you'd probably say that, that UC Davis playoff game. In Montana, at 8-2 and two already, if they win this weekend, I think that punches their ticket, especially because they've played a little bit of a harder schedule. But... Um, I think if they beat Weber State, they're automatically, and then the Cacarys game will just be for icing on the cake. It'll be for what what seed they get, not for a seed. But if the Grizz lose to Weber, and they're eight and three going into the Cacarys game, which is exactly what we had these two. We had these two teams at each at eight and three going into the Cacarys game, and that is certainly in the cards, especially if the Cats win the next two and the Grizz go one and one, and. Uh, if that's the case, then I think that the Cacarys game will be for a seed on both sides, and I think it'll be for a, one of the one of the five through eight seeds for the Cats, and it'll be for one of probably the I think four through eight seeds for the Grizz. It, it, and if the Grizz beat Weber, then they could be playing for as high as maybe the two or three seeds. So, still a ton to be determined. Uh, finally, the unbalanced schedule gets backloaded in a fashion where there's big games in November, and that's what we—that's all we could ask for. And so, uh, we will keep you updated. SkylineSportsMT.com. Check it out. We got a big series of senior profiles. We had a couple different things change in media protocol, which gave us the opportunity to get get all the Montana State seniors rounded up, and we'll also have some Montana senior profiles as well. Uh, I interviewed Colin Bingham yesterday, and he shared some thoughts about. His life as a Grizz and his career now as a Grizz, and I think that'll be a really good story. And uh, we'll also make the rounds with all the Montana guys from Montana State as well as a couple other out-of-state guys as well. So stay tuned for all that, plus press conference videos, podcasts. We got you covered all the way across the way. 
the best multimedia coverage in the Big Sky Conference, ConSportsMT.com. Brooks Nuanes, couldn't do it without you, my man. Thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely, man. I look forward to this weekend, and we've got a couple games left. Playoff time. Coulter, the weather has turned. It is gnarly out there. It's gnarly on the roads. But in Montana, that doesn't keep us home. We go everywhere we got to go. You and I always travel in for football. I'm going to be headed to some other places for Christmas, all this kind of stuff. You know what gives me comfort? I know that I'm always about 11 feet from a town pump superstore. I mean, no matter where I am in the state of Montana, you got gasoline, you got all the refreshments you need, the kids got to have, you know, a, a, a packet of gum, some chips, some water to keep them going, to keep them satiated and satisfied in the back seat. And you know what other S word? Silent. Shut them up, those kids. You go to town pump and you got yourself some peace and calm in the van ride. I, sh- I should pay them $1 million for what they've done for me. I always set up that town pump right when you get over Homestake Pass, uh, right in Rocker there because uh, yeah. I always run out of the spray fluid for the windshield. And the mm. semis are spraying on you. When it gets cold and icy and snowy like this, you got to have the right fluids in your car. And town pump's got that covered as well. And sometimes you need a beer for after the drive. So get yourself a six-pack, drink it when you get home, behave yourself. But it is. It's a great place no matter what you need. Fuel, food, caffeine, water, anything. And who knows? Maybe you throw a dollar in the machine, you walk away a winner, too. I mean, you got all these different ways to recreate, stretch your legs on the highways. No matter where you're at in Montana, there's a town pump near you. Town pump, Montana's best since 1953. Well, off we go to the Rangich Brothers RV phone line, and we're happy to welcome in Jeff Cotton, a senior wide receiver from the University of Idaho, Idaho playing at the University of Montana this Saturday, 1 o'clock kickoff. Jeff, thanks so much for being with us. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, we're certainly happy to have you in. And, man, what a year you're having right now. You're 18th in the nation in yard, 4th in the nation in receptions per game. And you guys offensively have uh, have kind of gotten it rolling a little bit at times throughout the course of the year coming off of two wins. What's this season been like for you? Um, I mean, for I mean, as a team, it's kind of been up and down. But uh, like you said, lately, we've, I feel like we've been getting on a roll in our We've just been playing as a team, just playing great, feeding off each other and just making the, the plays when they're there and just playing for all four quarters. What do you notice is the biggest difference when you guys are, are playing well? Because I've watched you guys play live three times. When you guys are playing well, you guys are, are good. So what uh-huh. what's the biggest difference? I think it's just the energy and uh, the preparation we put throughout the week. And when we put in good preparation, we're confident in ourselves and confident in our teammates, and we just go out there play without thinking so much and just if adversity comes just play through adversity and I think that and just playing with energy all four quarters has helped us out tremendously. It's been an interesting deal with you guys at quarterback because I know Mason Petrino was the guy for the first couple months of the year but then against Idaho State you guys had multiple different quarterbacks and Colton Richardson was playing well then he got hurt Uh, and then Petrino comes back next week so from a receiver's perspective what's it like having multiple guys throwing you the ball and where are you at just with the confidence level you have and the guys that are your guys' quarterbacks Uh, I mean it's uh, I I tell people all the time it's whatever but I mean I have confidence all the confidence in the world in all three of them and I'm with whoever's throwing the ball I'm just it's just my job to catch it and just make the make the plays when they're there so I mean when uh, no matter who's in, I'm confident in them, and I'm confident in myself and my teammates as well. So uh, I don't see an issue with it at all. 
Jeff Cotton joining us, a wide receiver for the Idaho Vandals. And Jeff, you're from Tucson, Arizona originally. You went to a, a, a JC in the Tucson area, and then you transferred into to Idaho, I think, in 2017 and redshirted that year. What got you to Moscow from from uh, from Arizona? Um, I had a. It had taken me my graduation date uh, when I was at my JUCO. It kept on getting pushed back and. I think it was around May of 2017. Uh, our former tight ends coach, Coach Purcell, had came to my JC to look at some other guys. My receiver coach had told me to come in so uh, I could have a conversation with him and he could look at me. And then I ended up going and the conversation went well. And it was just, everything was great. And he he uh, had called me, my receiver coach had called me after the meeting. Said, uh, they wanted me, they liked me, and then, just from that point on, I uh, and at the time they were the only Division One that was still um, willing to like, I guess, take me at that time. Because it was so, late, uh, late in the process because of the year, yeah, because of exactly. the graduation date, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, I, uh, right away, I was like, "Yep, I want to go here. No questions asked." Watching the way that it's all gone down with the Arizona Junior Colleges, it basically have disappeared. So, I'm sure you know a bunch of guys that were still involved in that. What sort of the feedback you're getting from from your home state in terms of no more junior college football in Arizona? Um, a lot of people are kind of upset with it because I mean the conference that I played in, it was a there was a lot of good talent, and they get out and go to a lot of of the power five schools, a lot of the top twenty five schools. So it's kind of sad just to see that a lot of kids won't, I mean, get the opportunity. There's a lot of talent in Arizona that I don't think a lot of people know about. So it's kind of like. Uh, sad and I mean I know a lot of people are frustrated with the whole thing but I know that I know the guys will if, if they have talent though somebody will find them and they'll get their shot so Jeff kind of an interesting deal for you because you know folks in Idaho and Montana know and understand the history of of the rivalry and the of Idaho's you know being a part of the Big Sky Conference for so long but when you came in in 2017 they were still in the Sun Belt although on their way transitioning back into the Big Sky Conference what did you know about that at the time that you committed and came to Idaho and then your first year actually playing being in the Big Sky Conference what were you aware of about the kind of landscape of the conference in general um Honestly, I didn't know too much about the Big Sky. I had a before coming out here. I had my friend actually had told me that they were moving down to the Big Sky, and I had like did some research on it and seen a few stuff. But uh, the Big Sky wasn't something that I had. I mean, looked too much into or heard too much about. But I mean, I feel like it's the games are a lot, uh, a lot more. I guess packed, I could say, because, I mean, a lot of the games are closer nearby each other instead of going way down south. And, I mean, for the most part, I feel like it's been a fun experience because, I mean, a lot of games are just packed and the energy is upbeat the whole game. So I feel like it's been a good experience. You know, particularly with Montana, Idaho and Montana have a long-standing rivalry, and I know a couple of guys last season when Montana went to Idaho we're like, whoa, we didn't realize like with the number of people yeah. and fans that were going to be there. Do you remember that game last year? And is that an experience oh, yeah. that you had for sure? Yeah, yeah. It was, I feel like last year, a lot of the, with the rivalries, we didn't, I mean, being our first year back in the big sky, a lot of the, a lot of the guys didn't know how, I guess, serious the rivalry, rivalries were. So uh, having that year of experience and coming back this year, yeah, that game was 
most definitely most definitely the one of the most packed games uh, in the dome I've ever uh, been a part of, and it was fun just to play in it. But I mean, the outcome wasn't fun. So hopefully, I mean, this year I know it's going to be uh, a packed crowd on Saturday, and so hopefully we just come out with the win. And uh, I mean, shoot, just come out with a win. I mean, you know, people got to pass the Brown Stein around. They care about the Brown Stein, Jeff. Yeah. I mean, my goodness, Jeff Cotton joining us, wide receiver for the Idaho Vandals. <laughs> Jeff, I listen to I listen to you guys' press conferences every week, and I can't remember which D tackle it was, but there was a defensive lineman that was talking about how you guys really take these rivalry games seriously, and it's yeah, yeah. It, that's been obvious in the in the results. You guys took it to Eastern Washington, I defeated them when they were number eleven in the country. Uh, you avenged the the lost Idaho State from a year ago, uh, and just routed Idaho State three defensive touchdowns, and it was a much of a momentum based game as I've ever watched. So now you here you are you're coming to Missoula to play Montana. What's the feeling in the locker room? What are you guys thinking about the Grizzlies? Uh, I mean, we're all excited. I mean, we know the rivalry between each other is now. I think it's a lot more intense uh, since last year. We I mean we got a best at home, so I know a lot of guys are excited and they're ready to go this week. And, I mean, me personally, I'm excited. I'm ready to go. This is a game I've been looking forward to. So I think we're all just ready to take this week of practice serious, take every rep, whatever it may be, in individual, team, whatever it may be, just give it all we got, each and every rep, treat it like a game rep, and just prepare ourselves for the, the game, the atmosphere, because, I mean, this is probably one, the biggest game of the season. Uh, so, I mean, just I know a lot of guys are ready to go. Jeff, you personally, again, have had an absolutely outstanding year at the wide receiver spot. You're already committed and and prepared to go to the Hula Bowl, it sounds like, and and kind of do the postseason, you know, display your talents there. Who's a guy in the NFL that you've sort of think that you got, you know, that you've sort of role modeled your game after a little bit? Um, If I had to choose one, it'd probably be Julio Jones, just because you hear everybody say – I mean, he can do everything. He can take an intermediate route and take 60 yards. He can go over the top. And a lot of people say that everything he does looks the same, and that's something I try to uh, do when I'm running my routes or whatever it may be, just make everything look the same. And he's just someone I've been admiring for a long time and someone uh, who I look up to. You know, I thought so you'd pick won. somebody good. I didn't think you'd pick Julio. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Hey, if you're going to model it after somebody, he's a, he's as good as it gets, no doubt. So oh, I, yeah, I, I like that. that. Jeff, we'll get you out of here on this. Three games left for the Idaho Vandals. So what is your guys' goals and aspirations for the rest of the season? What do you guys hope to play for, and, and what, how do you hope to finish this season? I mean, we, we plan on winning out these next three games and then hopefully get a shot to get in the playoffs and then once – if that happens, just, I mean, it's in our hands from there. Give it all we got each and every day at that point and try and make it to Frisco, Texas to play in that national championship game. Well, Jeff, we certainly appreciate your time, man. We're really looking forward to the game on Sunday, on Saturday. going to be a lot of fun. Uh, travel well, and, and we'll see you then, okay? Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I will get you out of here quick. So I know you're cold. So uh, first of all, tell me about Idaho. I mean, when I, when you hear Idaho, does it feel like a rivalry? I know they think it's a big time rivalry. I know a lot of people think you guys are their rivals, but I mean, does this game feel a little different for you? Oh uh, yeah, we definitely know we're going to get rivalry efforts. So, I mean, if, if they said that's our rival, then I, I agree that's our rival. Uh, my second time playing in it, so it'll be fun. They have been good against their rivals so far. They beat Eastern Washington, they beat Idaho State, so they're probably going to give their best effort. So you guys on high alert with the Vandals coming to town this weekend? Uh, definitely. We get 
good. Everybody's best shot when we come play here. Everybody loves playing here at the stadium. So, you know, we're going to get right every effort. Their receivers pretty talented. So, yeah. what's your scout of the two main guys, and how do you slow those guys down? Uh, they both catch the ball well, one good routes. Uh, we're just going to focus on the game plan, do what we do. When it gets cold like this and practice it in the dark, it, I mean, does it feel different, though? I mean, it, it's kind of down to it now, right? Yeah. Your senior year is almost over. So just personally, how does this feel? That you see your career's kind of winding down here. Uh, it's bittersweet. I mean, I'm from California, so the cold was uh, different for me. But uh, I'm definitely going to miss football here. Does this year feel different than it has the last couple of years, just the total attitude of the team? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't remember the last time I was 72 since high school. So, I mean, and we have a shot at winning the title this year, so. No, it definitely feels different. You've won a lot in your career when you go back to your high school days. So I mean, what was the hardest part about going through some of the struggles you guys had these last couple of years? How rewarding is that now as a senior to kind of come out on the other side? I think the biggest thing was like um, I would say like ending the season not being able to make playoffs. That was our biggest failure. Uh, ending the season and we had to watch every other team play. Uh, from high school, I wasn't used to that. So now I like to be able to have a chance to shout out the playoff and shout out conference. Uh, just a good feeling. Great feeling, actually. It's a great feeling. What's been the biggest change just in the culture of the program? Uh, everyone's bought in. Everyone's going hard every play, every every down. Uh, no one's worried about doing more than 111th, and everyone's out there making plays. Last weekend, you guys just pile-drive that quarterback. I mean, the yeah. pass rush was unbelievable. seemed like that was maybe the best you guys have clicked defensively for yeah. a full half. So what was going well? How were you guys able to perform so well against Portland State? Because um, Bear was giving us the plays, and we were just playing them. I mean, it, it was working, so. With the pass rush working like that, how much does that help you out on the on the backside? Helps a lot, honestly. A uh, good pass rush always makes corners look better, so I actually appreciate that. Yeah. No, no, I probably won't talk to you between now and the end of the regular season at least. So when you think back on your career in Montana, what has this experience meant to you? It's probably been pretty cool for you to come yeah. to California and then become a Grizzly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the biggest part, like I said, was not making playoffs, but that has been great for me. What have you learned uh, from your time in Montana? Uh, I'm more of a city guy. <laughs> but this has probably been worth your while, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah. I love it here. Uh, definitely going to come back and visit, uh, watch my guys, Sammy and Samori, stuff like that. And even after that, when I'm done with football. Coulter, I was in Bozeman for the Bobcat game a couple of weeks ago, and while I was there, I went over to the corner of Jackrabbit and Baxter and headed into the brand new Cathedral of Guns, Selway Armory. It was absolutely phenomenal their new store in bozeman is everything you want and more including a sig sour store right in the selway armory store got a, some confusion from a couple people that listen to this podcast they said what is sig sour and they spelled it like cigarette but no we're talking sig sour like s-i-g-s-a-e-u-r some of the best handguns you'll find anywhere they're experts when it comes to Sig Sours, as well as all other handguns, as well as all other firearms. Locations are both Missoula and Bozeman, but get your butt to that new Bozeman store. It's a beautiful store, unbelievable inventory, and those guys are experts. They'll help you find whatever it is you need. Hunting season, recreation, we all have people on our Christmas list, or maybe it's you yourself. Yes, I must say, once in a while it's nice to get your own self a present. You go in there, all of the guns, ammunition, accessories that you could imagine in culture, as you mentioned absolute experts they know everything there is to know about the entire inventory they've got online selwayarmory.com montana is a gun enthusiast state it's a hunting state and selway armory is montana's firearm superstore
Take the Selway Armory Challenge. Shop with Selway Armory for a year. Guarantee you're going to save money over the big box stores or anywhere else you might shop. Do yourself a favor. No matter where you're from in Montana, if you're making your way through southwest Montana, go see that new Selway Armory. And if you're in Missoula, go check out their location out Stockyard Road. Selway Armory, great products at a great price, along with world-class customer service. We go now to the Rangage Brothers RV phone line, and we welcome in the grad student quarterback, senior quarterback of the Northern Colorado Bears, Jacob Nip, joining us. Jacob, thanks so much for taking the time out. We really appreciate it. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, we're certainly happy to have you on. We appreciate it very much. We've been watching you play uh, for a number of years now and uh, and enjoying it. You've been doing a great job. I know that Northern Colorado this year has had a little bit of up and down, maybe not going all the way that you would like it at times, but coming off a big win last week, what worked for you against Idaho State last Saturday? Uh, I think we're just starting to kind of click as a whole team. You know, at the beginning of the year, we, we had to start a bunch of guys with um, not a lot of experience and a lot of young kids. And um, as the season's been going on, we, we've kind of gained that experience. And like I said, offensively, defensively, and special teams, we just started to click. Um, we didn't have just the defense rolling or just the offense rolling. It was all three phases. The young kids are starting to understand all the different aspects that go into winning a game. And we just put together a full game. It's really as simple as that. Jacob A. Coulter Nuana is here. It's interesting because I think the last time I interviewed you was four, maybe five years ago, and you've you've, you've been on this yeah. long journey. And yeah, um, so first of all, you mentioned learning how to win. I think that that's one thing Ryan and I always talk about is in the Big Sky Conference, especially. There's every team has a, a ton of talent, and it seems as yep. if that intangible element, just knowing how to win, learning how to win is the key to victory and the key to being one yep. of the top teams. What's that process like, and, and how, do you, how do you seize that? How, how, do you, how do you learn how to do that? Yeah, no, I mean, you said it best. The Big Sky is such a unique conference, and what I've kind of learned for the last five years that it doesn't really matter who you play. Like you said, every single week is a new challenge, um, and you're going to be in dogfights. You're going to be in close games, and I think the key is just figuring out how to eliminate mistakes because they're going to happen, but you got to be able to bounce back. And then in the fourth quarter, you got to find a way to, you know, put the put the foot on the pedal and and go forward and, and not worry about mistakes and um, just find ways to win. And like I said, we played well offensively, defensively, and special teams. And um, you you really got to play well in all three phases to win in this conference. And for you, you've seen. Such an ebb and flow at Northern Colorado. I mean, you were part of the roster yep. during one of the winning seasons, one of the only winning seasons Northern Colorado's had in the Big Sky Conference, uh, and, and you've seen some of the lows, especially with you having to be on the sidelines watching. So, what's from your yep. view? What, what's it been like to wa- I mean, since you've had to watch so much? What's it been like for you to just watch this the evolution of the program? Yeah, it's it's been a crazy experience and one that obviously I didn't expect coming in, but um, I definitely learned a lot about myself. Um, just from having to come back three different years and um, come back from injury and, and come back from loss and, and adversity, all that. I've learned about myself more than I could ever imagine. Um, but then I just learned a lot about the game, too, and how grateful I am to, to be playing it. And I don't think I would have had that same gratitude that I have now if I didn't go through some of the things that I did. And um, So right now, <laughs> in my sixth year, I'm just Every single week, obviously, it's a challenge, but I'm just so excited to be playing football. And um, No matter what happens, I'm going to go out and, and, and play my best and play the way I know how and just enjoy it, and that's kind of what I've, I've learned. 
You know, Jacob, some people would, would look and say, okay, you know, you, you have the terrible knee injury, and that's not the only thing, you know, that, that, that you've dealt with physically. And, you know, you're playing, you're playing football, and certainly it's fun to play, but the injuries are such a, you know, reality of the sport and all that. And why come back? Like, why put in all the time and the effort and the rehab and all the lonely days that people don't see to get back on the field? What is it that drives you or has driven you to do that and, 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 uh, and make that comeback repeatedly? Yeah, I'd say it's changed every single year. Obviously, after the first time it happened, um, that was the first time I've ever been hurt in my entire life. So I'm like, oh, you know, I've been fortunate up to this point. It's football injuries happen. I'm going to rehab, come back. Um, it's never going to happen again. And that's kind of what my thought process was. And then the second time it happened, I'm like, all right, you know, it happened twice in a row. It's college football. Like this, this sort of thing happens. And, um, obviously my love for the game is what's going to cause me to come back for a second time. And then when it happened again, um, a lot of thoughts went through my head and I can't really put it into one word, um, what caused me to come back. But I mean, I, for a while, I did think about quitting, and I thought it was going to be, you know, the last time I'd played football, the last time I was going to play at UNC. And eventually, with a, a lot of support from my family and friends, coaches and teammates, and you know, a lot of good people, I realized that I love this game, and I don't want to be sitting around 10, 15 years from now wishing I'd given it one more chance. And you know, as a kid, I, I, my goal and dream was to play in the NFL, and I had that opportunity, and I wanted to take one more opportunity at it and use my sixth year and just go out and enjoy it and play football because at the end of the day it's a game that I love and a game that I enjoy playing. Jacob Nip joining us. He's the quarterback of Northern Colorado. They are hosting uh, Montana State this weekend. And, and Jacob, I want to ask you about a guy that you know probably as well as anybody. We've always found your head coach, Ernest Collins, to be a really engaging and personable figure. But what's it been like for you to have been with him these six years and know him probably better than anybody else? Right. No, it's <laughs> – I'm very fortunate, and for the last six years, it, it's been an honor working alongside him just because it, it's it's incredible to see how much he truly cares about the individuals here. Football aside, um, you can just tell, and it's the reason why I came here, is he, he truly cares about the people here, and it doesn't matter if it's a you know an offensive coordinator, a player, a, you know, a training staff, equipment person. He, he treats everyone like family and makes them feel special. And, you know, as a player, that's that's what you want. And, you know, he definitely cares about, you know, your life after football because eventually it'll end for everybody. And he, you know, stresses and emphasizes the importance of getting your education. It's just uh, I, I've truly been blessed to be alongside such a great man who, who cares about the people here. Let's talk about this week. You guys got a nationally ranked Montana State Bobcats team coming to town. What's your scout on the Bobcats? They played really well defensively last week. So how do you think Montana State's performing, and what's the key to, to taking advantage of what you guys might be able to take advantage of? Yeah, no, like you said, they're they're a great team. They're very fundamentally sound in everything they do. I know offensively they run the ball really well. They're going to chew up some clocks. So that means offensively we got to take advantage of the opportunities we get. And, uh, you know, they're big and physical and athletic and, you know they got some they got some dudes on the defensive side of the ball, but you know we we we've got a few things in that we think that we can hang our hat on. And like I said, I think the key is we just got to take advantage of our opportunities, especially early. If we can come out hot like we did in the Ohio, Idaho State game, you know I think we can stick with them. And if we put together, like I said, a, a full game and all three phases are playing well, 
uh, we'll be right there with them. You know, wh- there's a lot of people were you know across the state of Montana here, so a lot of people here haven't been to Greeley, Colorado, haven't been to a football game at uh, UNC. Tell people a little bit about what's unique about the town and 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 the place and playing football there. Yeah, no, it's a great atmosphere, and this year actually more so than other years, we've had a we've had a great fan base come out and. You know, I know there's a lot of great pregame festivities and, um, you know, the, the kids come out more so more so in the first half and the second half. But it's it's a great fan base and Greeley's a great town. You know, it's been my home for five and a half years now and um, there's a lot to do. It's nice because you're close enough to the mountains. You can get up, and go up there or go down to Denver and Fort Collins is close. So it's kind of it's kind of in the middle of a bunch of different places and it's Colorado. So the weather year round is pretty ideal. It's a little cold right now, but I mean, I know it's it's cold just about everywhere else in the big sky too. But I mean, it's a very ideal place to live, and I mean, I've definitely loved my time here. That's for sure. Not cold in Montana. We're all the way up to seven this morning, so we're doing great. Oh, wow. We're feeling it. Yeah, it's <laughs> good. Go. Well, speaking of just your life, what's what's the future plans for Jacob Nipper? Are you gonna try to ride this football thing out as long as you can? I am. That's uh, that's my plan, and obviously we got three weeks left, and I'm gonna just focus one week at a time there but yeah like I said that's been that's been my dream since I was little and I'm gonna I'm gonna train and see where football takes me and just ride it out as long as I can and after that I have two degrees that I've gotten here to fall back on and I want to get into sports management so um, I'll be doing that once my football career is over but yeah I'm gonna work work at going to the NFL once the season's over and see where it goes from there. Well, Jacob, we really appreciate you joining us again. Uh, Northern Colorado hosting Montana State noon uh, Mountain Standard Time uh, on Saturday, available on 11 Sports and Pluto Television. Jacob, appreciate the time. We've really enjoyed watching your career, and uh, and we'll enjoy it this Saturday and the next couple of weeks, okay? Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. We go now to the Rankish Brothers RV phone line. We welcome in our buddy Mike Dugar. He covers the Seattle Seahawks for The Athletic. But today, because the Seahawks don't play till Monday, so we'll talk to him again on Monday about the Seahawks-San uh, Francisco game. Mike, you started in uh, in your career at Idaho, and the Vandals are coming to Missoula uh, this weekend to uh, play the Grizzlies in the first renewal of this rivalry in 15 years in Missoula, in Washington Grizzly Stadium. But you covered uh, Paul Petrino and the Idaho Vandals football team, as well as several other clubs uh, for the uh, Idaho Vandals for several years in the uh, late you know, 2000s, 2014, 26 through 2016, 17, something like that. What do you remember about your time just in general covering Idaho? Because they do have a big fan base, a big following, right? Uh, you know, I remember the the strange situation with, you know, not really being in the a division that was like with opponents nearby. You know, that was always weird. Right? Playing like Georgia Southern and Appalachian State, uh, they had it. Like, think about that. Appalachian State, you, know how, you guys know how far that is? From <laughs> <laughs> right. That's ridiculous for them to have, you know, games there. Like, you should, Idaho should have no division games against Georgia State. <laughs> just, totally. That was always just uh, weird to me uh, how much of a mess uh, Paul Pacino inherited was uh, was very bad. It was probably one of the, I was just reading about Florida State and the, the mess Willie Taggart inherited from Jimbo Fisher. And this has that has nothing on what Idaho uh, was, man. Those kids, it's not that they weren't even good in school. You know, I don't even think they knew where their classes were under, uh, I think the previous coach was Aki. Uh, their APR was so bad. There was posters on the, up on the school like, hey, fire Paul. And they had like a list of all the things he did that was bad. And 
kids got caught stealing from the store where they get free gear anyway. It was just, oh, it was just, and then the team was bad, right? Like, it was just a, a, a big mess. And then to see Paul turn it around uh, and win nine games in my final year covering the win that potato bowl, one of the mag- most magical games I can ever remember being at. Like, that was, it was just a whirlwind at Idaho. It definitely wasn't boring. You know, it was very interesting, which is weird to say about, you know, a team in northern Idaho. Well, I, I want to key in on that with you because, you know, Paul Petrino has this reputation of being a pretty acerbic personality and all of that, and, and that's probably true. And his teams at Idaho have been at times horrendous, but also, like you said, I mean, he had nine wins at the FBS level, won a bowl game. That's pretty That's pretty remarkable, and he certainly knows football. And so where are you at with him, and what was it like to cover him specifically as the coach, and especially, like you said, when he inherited a really tough spot anyways? Uh, well, he was a really angry guy a lot of the time. But well, that makes sense. Your team wins one or one or two games. We had a we had a notable run in that didn't didn't go well. You know, he's an angry cat. Uh, you know, real fiery. But that works for football. You know, that's one of those arenas where you know you yell at people and tell them they suck and scream and get fired up and turn red. You know that you know you get a raise <laughs> when all that stuff happens. Uh, if if you win, uh, I don't. I think actually he was a good coach. You know, he had some really good. You know principles you know understood the fundamentals of like all you know little stuff finishing games i speak finishing games you know the right way to tackle uh you know the emphasis on ball security you know stuff like that he was a good uh he really had an eye for quarterbacks when i was there and that just just that went down the drain when i left good god uh the nepotism kind of ruined that program i think that's a that's a bit of an issue that, that it's kind of sad that uh it kind of went that way because when I was there, the quarterback play was actually decent. You know, Chad Chalich was all right. Jake Luton is a Pac-12 starter now. You know, Matt Linehan, you know, had a quick stint in the in the NFL. I think he was also in the, uh, what was that thing, the AAF. Uh, I, I think he's not doing the XFL, but he was, a, he was a good quarterback. And then I think he's what starting. Colton Richardson now, the kid from Lewiston, who's, who's got an arm, but I think he's is he battling with, Mason Petrino? That's just a bad move, man. I covered Mason in high school, and it was it wasn't what I did. What I saw was not a scholarship quarterback at any level. So when I when I think about the program now, I'm like, ah, oh, man, that place could have really been been going. They probably have some other issues. I don't really watch the games anymore, but to to see, I watch. I look at the box score on my ESPN app, and I'm like, Petrino, nine of twenty two for a hundred yards and a pick. Who the hell is that? Uh, so that that's that sucks that that's kind of what the situation is now for them. Because actually, I, I still talk to a lot of guys that I covered at Idaho. I really liked the community there. It was really cool. Yeah, for sure. Well, the the place that Idaho's occupied for the last 20 or so years has been unique and interesting and in a lot of ways disastrous. And I think that their fan base might be the one of the most split fan bases in terms of what the vision was, is, and should be for what the school and the athletic department should be. So you're a guy who went to Wazoo, so you're familiar with the area, the Palouse, and, and just the dichotomy between the two towns. But how would you describe just the overall climate there? Because there were so many people that wanted to stay FBS, some people they wanted to come back to the Big Sky because it does renew some of those regional rivalries like you're talking about. You don't have to go to App State. You can just go to Cheney, and it's just, you know, it saves you thousands of miles in travel. But on the other hand, you're not playing at the top level of football anymore, and you're not making some of the money that they were making playing the old misses and Florida states and Floridas and Penn states of the world. So, 
just in that moment, what was the reaction like when they decided to move, when they got kicked out of the Sun Belt and decided to move back down? And how would you just describe just kind of the polarization between uh, the two different schools of thought for Idaho football and Idaho athletics in general? It was a really weird split. Like it was, and the people on both sides had really good arguments. It was like, yeah, the big sky folks, like, man, forget this. We're not competitive. Let's go to a division where we're competitive. Although that was always a flawed argument to me. It doesn't, it does, you'd, yeah, you'd be competitive in the big sky if you were still getting FBS recruits. If you're only getting FCS recruits, no playing field levels, which is what they <laughs> quickly learned. They're not just running through the big sky. Uh, they had a, but they had a point there about the regional rivalries, maybe attendance getting better, which I, I doubt it has because attendance is tied to success, of course, uh, which they had finally in the, in the FBS uh, when I was there. Uh, the other side of it was like, look, we're, yeah, we get our butt kicked by Florida State, uh, but they also pay us $1.1 million to get our butt kicked. And we need $1.1 million. I think USC gave them $1.4 or something when I was there. Even Wazoo kicked them like six hundred k. Like, you need that money when you're when you're Idaho. And the, the allure of playing on the FBS stage, I think, was underestimated in a lot of ways. Like, the Big Sky is cool, uh, but just even having the chance to maybe play on, like, ESPN2 or something like that, you know, the fact that you do play in Auburn, a Florida, an LSU, a USC. Like the fact that you've got those games every year, like that was that was a you know a, a selling point. And because you then played teams in the South in the Sun Belt, you could recruit in the, uh, you know in that area and even go independent. Like I know that wasn't a, a viable like solution, but I thought that was like the way to go to figure it out. Anything to say FBS. I think the ultimate problem though was there was division not only in the fans. Up in the like in the front office, I don't think uh, Chuck was his name Staben. I don't think Chuck Staben and Rob Spear were on the same page. I think Rob wanted FBS, Staben wanted FCS, and that's it right there. Boom. When the when the leaders aren't on the same page, your fan base is probably not going to be on the same page. Then your programs won't be on the same page, and it'll just be a disaster. That's it. I knew that. I don't even think either one of them was there. Neither. They're both gone uh, now. They're both, both gone. Them. Yeah. 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 You, know, you know that was just. I could see that coming. I could see the look on Spears' face when they did that press conference with Saban. Saban's all hype about this FCS thing, and, and Rob looks like, you know, they looked like dejected. It was terrible. The fact that Chuck, Chuck and Rob weren't on the same page was the most problematic part of anything. Fans are divided all the time. You can't have the, people, the decision makers divided because then you don't move forward anywhere, which is why both of those guys are now gone, ultimately. Rob was a little inept, uh, you know, in other areas, but I think ultimately that was it. They hadn't. They didn't have a joint vision, so everything was just a mess. When it comes to just Idaho in general, by the way, Mike Dugar joining us at Mike Dugar on Twitter. He covers the Seahawks for the Athletic, but talking to us about the Vandals since they're playing the Grizzlies this weekend. He covered Idaho athletics for several years uh, before going uh, over to uh, Western Washington to uh, Seattle. But Mike, when you talk about Moscow, Idaho, and the University of Idaho. It is a place that has a, a, a real following, a real fan base. People care about that university. And like you said, attendance is kind of is what it is, but that's tied to success. It's not necessarily tied to the reality where if they were winning, people would come out to that thing and if they believed in the program because that's a community, it's a great college town, right, and, and a place where people really do care about the school and, and the athletic department. Oh, yeah, the, the spirit is definitely there because – you know, in a college town, it's not just that, like, they're small, right? When people say college town, you can have a big college town. The sure. thing is, it's like everything revolves around the college, and people stay there their whole life. Like, people go to, like, Moscow High, because I covered preps, too. 
So, like, I got to know, like, people in the community, like the local guy who runs, like, the bike shop or, you know, who's been there forever or, you know, the sheriff or the guy who runs that one bar in, like, Troy. You know, I got to know all those type of people. And they've been in Idaho their whole life, a lot of them. So all they know is the Vandals and Vandal football Saturday, you know, shuts everything down, you know, when they're good and, and stuff like that. You know, that's, that's one of the coolest parts of covering college versus the pros. You meet cool people, you know, who are, like, diehard Seahawks fans or – it's probably different covering like the Packers, Cowboys, Bears, or something like that. But in a college town, it's just like, nah, eat, sleep, breathe your team's football game on those Saturdays. And yeah, the, the spirit was for sure there. Like, I'm still, even the, the other programs were super cool up there. You know, the soccer coach, Derek Pittman, was, I don't know if he's still there, but he was a really good dude. Uh, you know, John Newley, the women's basketball coach, still one of the, the uh, the best coaches I've probably ever covered just as a as a X's and O's guy and just as a recruiter and a dude. He was super cool. In fact, I think when they won the Big Sky, I think last year, I, I sent him a, a text or email. I can't remember. Just saying congrats. I didn't think he'd remember me. I just was like, hey, you know, congrats and everything. He hit me back so fast. Like, ah, it was like an all cat. He's like, of course, I remember you, man. He did great stuff. Happy to hear you doing Seahawks. You know, he's just a cool cat. So, like, from the coaches, to some of the players that I still know, I just ran into a former Idaho player, you know, out in Seattle last week. You know, like those, everything else was cool. It was just the coach was a hothead, and the management was a disaster. <laughs> everything else about Idaho uh, uh, was was pretty great. Well, those are two minor things, so no big deal. You know, it's fine. <laughs> everything else is good. I, I yeah, think it's, you know, other, other than those two very huge things, <laughs> you know, everything else was fine. I just think this is so fascinating. I could honestly talk to you about this for like half an hour because I just think that there's so much good. Good stuff, but I I do want to get your perspective on what you think the future is. Because I thought you made an interesting comment. You know, I think that people did think that they were going to dominate the Big Sky because they had FBS guys. But I think that there's having covered the Big Sky for 13 years now. I think there's such a dichotomy. I mean, Idaho for a lot of it. You know, Matt Linehan was definitely a, a good player. He's a high level FBS quarterback. He could have played at a lot of schools. They just they they were fortunate that his dad was an alum and he ended up choosing Idaho. And they've had guys that were you know good i mean that running back penny i know he's still in the in the league and they have dudes that have gone on to play in the league Caden ellis is in the league right now as well but i also think that schools like montana montana state eastern washington they get dudes that are so much better than the fcs level and that's why they're fcs powers because they can get dudes who are above the level who come to those schools because maybe they're overlooked or they're from a rural area or they're late bloomers or whatever it might be and it seems to me there's the opposite for Idaho a lot of times. They were getting the bottom of the barrel when it comes to FBS guys, getting guys who were going straight FBS just to say that they went FBS. They, they might actually have a better opportunity and, and a better path and a better everything at a school like Montana, for example, than when Idaho was in the FBS. But I think it's just so interesting the way it's all evolved. And then, like you said, you pointed to the fact, like the women's basketball program, you can have success in Moscow. I mean, John Newley – Went to three tournaments in four years. I think that's where I first met you was in Reno covering Idaho's run to the NCAA tournament and uh, also the the congruent disappointing run by the men's basketball team when they flamed out and they're the two seed and they, they lost in the first round of Southern Utah. But in your mind, I mean, where does Idaho go from here? Can they salvage this thing? Can they get back to being a traditional Big Sky Conference power? Yeah, see, that's going to be so tough. And I, like I meant, that was really short-sighted on the part of people who were like, yeah, we'll be more competitive if we play like Southern Utah in football, too. It's like, no, nah, you won't because you won't get Caden Ellis. <laughs> if right. You're, 
in the big side. You won't get Elijah Penny. You won't get uh, – there was a really good receiver there named Desmond Epps. I was there. He might have been the best talent I know, might have ever seen. Dude was just an idiot. Uh, but he, <laughs> he was knucklehead. Bro, he got arrested like three times in like a year. Oh, just for the, the silliest stuff. Really great talent, though. But you don't get him. You know, uh, you don't get, you know, Jay Sean Jordans. You don't get, you know, Quentin Bradley's. All these guys. I'm naming all the seniors from that, that you know, Josh, Mc, Josh, Josh McCain, I think, was like a thousand-yard receiver when I was there. They had dudes, but you don't get those dudes if there's no difference between going to Idaho versus Portland State. Yeah, like, you, you just don't, and I don't think people understood that. Uh, so now, well, the first start is probably the new coach there. Um, I don't think, I really can't express how inexcusable it is for him to be playing Mason uh, there. Like, even if, I haven't, I haven't studied Mason's numbers or everything like that, but I mean, even in high school, you know, I covered Mason's senior year at Pullman High, and then I covered the year after that when he left. And they, they moved their tight end, the quarterback, to replace him, and they were just worlds better. <laughs> you know, it was, it was that, you know, anyone who's seen that can can just tell you. Like, I saw it firsthand, talked to guys who play with him at every level, watched him as a college guy, you know. I, no, that's just nothing about that screened, uh, you know, college quarterback. But I think there's, like I said, some nepotism there. So you got to get rid of that. That That's just inexcusable. Like, it worked when it was like uh, – a former alums kid in Linehan, he was also like 6'3 with an arm. <laughs> right, know, I mean, like, threw for 10,000 yards. Right? I mean, he had a shot yeah. in the NFL. It's a lot different than a 5'11 guy who throws for 110 yards a game. Yeah, he was thrown with a glove on, I think, when he, when he was there. It was just, <laughs> it just it, I mean, I think Bridgewater throws with one on in the pros. Like, it's not the worst thing. Luke Falk's done it, too. But it, it, I've always thought that was, that was weird. I think that's your first step, you know, because it's your quarterback play. You need – Solid quarterback play. I don't know if the Colt Richardson kid is the answer. I also don't know what year he has left. Uh, but, I mean, what Pacino was good at, like I said, when I was – he was good at Jake Luton, man. He's starting for Oregon State. <laughs> like that, and he's good, too. I, I, he's, like, top five in some really important category. I just can't remember. It might be touchdown-interception ratio right now, like in the country. Like, Jake, he recruited Jake. You know, got Linehan. Those guys are good. Charles is good. I don't – even Colton Richardson, you know. So, I think it starts with – if you're not gonna, if he's not gonna make the right decisions at quarterback, I'm Paul. I mean, you got to get a new guy, and you got to get someone in there who can find a talented quarterback. When you got someone who can sling it, you know, because defenses in the Big Sky, I imagine, aren't too complex. You know, you got somebody who can sling it, like like Eastern's had uh, over the years. You get somebody, then boom, your whole program uh, can change. I think that's what I would do if I was like running things over there. Well, Mike, we certainly appreciate the time. Talk to us about Idaho, your time there, and your perspective on the on the school, the uh, program, the university, all that kind of stuff. We uh, we appreciate it very much. At Mike Dugar on Twitter. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Seahawks 49ers, all right? All right. Thanks. No problem. Selway Armory on Black Friday is the one store you have to visit to save huge on guns, ammo, and accessories. Check out Selway Armory's insert in the Thanksgiving edition of the Bozeman Chronicle before Black Friday to see all of the unbelievable inventory and savings they have in store for you. Put Selway Armory on your schedule and get there this Black Friday and Saturday for the sale of the year. Get to the store at the corner of Baxter and Jackrabbit in front of Big Sky Archery and Zero In. Selway Armory's Black Friday sale. Shop local. Save money, shoot more.